This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I am here again this week in Austin, Texas for a live but socially distant podcast, sitting back uh, well over six feet apart in the brew house for St. Elmo Brewing, uh, talking today with uh, Brian Winslow, co-founder and head brewer of St. Elmo Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Good to see you. Glad, to, glad you're here. Well, I was I'm glad you uh, answered my email and uh, we were able to make this happen. And I'm glad you know the format of the podcast, too. So um, hopefully we can uh, delve into some of your thoughts on brewing and uh, how you have shaped a brewing identity for St. Elmo in a, in a very awesomely rich uh, craft beer world now. Can't wait to delve into that. Uh, before we do, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. New this year, redundancy meets efficiency. G&D's micro-channel condensers are built with all-aluminum construction, which eliminates galvanic corrosion. Using half the refrigerant of conventional condensers with fewer braced connections translates to a lower GWP and less opportunity for leaks. Call G&D Chillers today to discuss your project or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by Crisp Scottish Pale Ale Malt. Crisp Scottish Pale Ale Malt is the workhorse of many a brewery and is at home in a variety of beer styles. Crisp sources the lowest nitrogen spring barley from farmers in Fife up to Moray during malting. A high cast moistures and a balance of optimal germination time and temperatures results in an even well-modified malt with a rich color and balanced sweet malt flavor which is ideally suited to ale brewing. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com for more information on crisp Scottish pale ale malt or call 1-800-374-2739. So Brian, it's good to talk to you. It's good to see you. I've been to St. Elmo a couple times already in the past and uh, hadn't actually met you in the process of doing that. Um, you know, And of course, we've uh, had your beer and you guys have sent some beer up our way at Craft Beer and Brewing, mm-hmm. some of it which has ex- uh, scored extremely well. With a couple of 96 ratings from the magazine, always enjoyable to drink your beer. And it's fun to be back here drinking it in person here in Austin, Texas. So talk to me a little bit about your you know, brewing background and uh, how you got to where you are uh, co-founding and uh, you know leading the kind of brewing operations for St. Elmo. Sure. Yeah. So I started off as a beer fan. Um, you know, breweries like Live Oak and St. Arnold really blazed away here in Texas and was a big you know, yeah, fan of fan of them and started making my own back in 2011 and really just got hooked. It was, you know, I, I was an English major, but then my parents, you know, my our science teacher and and I just have this, you know, I love the science art balance of things. And so, you know, being able to to be creative and and to and to be analytical and and to problem solve uh, is is just so fun. And so I just dove right in and read every book that I could and made everything that I could. And uh, and then tried to work anywhere that I could. And so back then it was like 2011. It was there was way fewer breweries than there are now. Um, and the way to get in was volunteering. And so I knocked on a bunch of doors and there were um, lots of really receptive no's and, and sorry and not right <laughs> sure, now sure. And, and all that. But then eventually um, got a, a job working at Austin Beer Works. And so we we're working there in packaging and kegging and canning and work my way up there and over three, four years or so. Yeah, kind of did every production job that they had. Ended up as the lead brewer and, and um, you know, running production and making lots of fun beers. Their beers are amazing and they're really super fun people. It's a really fun place to work and um, very growth driven. We went from doing like 1,500 barrels a year to like 15,000 barrels a year in wow. three years. It was nuts. That sounds like a crazy learning experience trying to do that. We learn how to fix stuff, yes, um, <laughs> and and make make really good lager and um, IPA and stuff. And so, anyway, so then you know, I kind of you know got that gave me the maybe you know foolish notion that I could do this on my own, right? And uh, you know, I was looking around town and where to do it, and I lived in South Austin, and and there really back then there wasn't much, um, and you know, really, I think one of the magic for one of the magic aspects of all breweries is their location. 
And, you know, some of them are in some of like the craziest places or like in neighborhoods that you'd never think. And and I think that, you know, that breweries just do so much for a neighborhood. And so we we're trying to, you know, think about that and where, you know, where could we go? So the St. Elmo neighborhood here in South Austin didn't um, actually had one brewery, um, but they didn't have a tap room really. And there wasn't really much down here. So we we fell in love with it. Um, just, you know, St. Texas El- has these bizarre rules about what you or they did at least about what you can sell for, you know, to go, what you can sell as a brewery, a tap room, et cetera, et cetera. Hard to, you know, build certain kinds of models in certain neighborhoods. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So since starting at Beerworks to now, there's been especially two major legislative changes that have changed our industry in Texas quite a bit. Uh, the first one was breweries, um, like a big brewery like, um, you know, St. Arnold or Real Ale or Live Oak could not have a tasting room. You could not go to a brewery and buy beer and drink it there. And so that uh, changed in, oh, I should know this. I think it was 2011. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we could open a tasting room. And, you know, we used to like sell a glass and you get free pours and stuff. Anyway, so like being able to have people co- go to a brewery and buy beer. Right, uh, novel concept. Changed breweries. Go figure. It was awesome. Um, and then the other big one uh, happened in uh, 2019 uh, with the Beer to Go legislation led by um, our, our Texas Craft Brewers Guild, uh, and as well as, uh, you know, a few key members in, you know, in breweries around around town. And um, so right then, like, you know, breweries, you go to brewery and buy beer, um, but you couldn't leave with it, you know, and but you could go buy it at a convenience store down the street. And so now you can you can go to any brewery or brew pub. There's two different licenses here and get beer, drink it there or take it away. And so now you have lots of you know freedom as a business owner to choose your own path. So that that's really great. And so knowing all of that and being able to kind of welcome you know, Texas to the laws that most other states in the United States have had for decades, at least. Yeah. Yeah, right. We're, yeah, we, yeah, we, we finally got legal. <laughs> um, so. so as you're thinking about St. Elmo and, and, you know, breaking out and doing this brewery, uh, you know, as your own thing, um, was there a style guidance to it? it or was it, you know, were you thinking primarily of the, the means by which you're going to serve, you know, customers or did those two things go hand in hand? Um, yeah, we never really had styles early on that we wanted to, you know, we're not going to yeah. be the Belgian brewery. So that wasn't right, a big right. thing. We love lager, we love IPA and sour beers. And so that we, we were going to do lots of different stuff, but we really wanted to focus on, you know, selling most of the beer on site. Um, and, you know, going into the brewery, that's just the magic of breweries is like drinking it, looking at stainless. It's really simple, but it's really awesome. Um, and so that was the model. It's yeah, like, hey, no, it's- I think you're right. I think, you know, people lose that. So like, this is what makes craft breweries so powerful as an idea. You know, the same kind of buying directly from the maker, you know, that drives everything from farmer's markets to, you know, buying meat from local purveyors, buying, you know, house-made charcuterie. Like, these are all pieces of tapping into the art of a creator and having that direct relationship to it. And so you're right, you know, being there, seeing it, doing it smelling the smells in the, in the tap room brew house. Like those are all important pieces of it. For sure. Right. And there, and there really wasn't a whole lot of that. Um, it was just becoming a thing in Texas anyway. Um, and so we, that was kind of the idea is make it all here, you know, obviously sell it all here. When we opened, we didn't distribute or package any beer and, and all of the, all of the beer was served as pints over the bar. And since then, lots of things have changed and we've grown, you know, we started distributing draft only. We had like 20 or 30 accounts around Austin and, and, and you just kind of very organically grew the business, you know, like primarily, you know, just focusing on here in the tasting room, the experience here, making sure all of our bartenders are very educated. We have you know, monthly staff trainings and making sure that they know the, all the ingredients in the beers and that when, you know, you know, one of my most frustrating experiences in going to a few different breweries, I, I won't name, um, is like going and asking for a beer and being so excited to be there. And then like the bartender, like doesn't care or doesn't know what's going on. And I'm like at this brewery that I've been excited about for, you know, years to go to. And then they, they kind of like fumble it at the at the finish line. Um, and anyway, so it's really important for us to like, create the experience here. And then also, you know, kind of slowly start extending that into the greater Austin area. How uh, I like that idea. What does what does training look like for your service staff so that they don't fumble it uh, right there at the goal line? Uh, it's it's a little harder right now. Um, sure, sure. You know, right. but this past year, sure. you know, notwithstanding, because 
you know, my goodness, everything has changed. Asterisk, back to normal world. Um, right. Yeah, but uh, we would do monthly trainings and really, and even just like day to day, the brewers are always in there tasting beer. We do off-flavor things. And so it would be like a monthly thing where we sit down and do off-flavor. We would try other people's beer, talk about it, what we like, what we don't like, do blinds. You know, blinds are always so fun. Sure, um, sure. Even like light lager blinds is one of my favorite. Just get like Lone Star and PBR and Bud <laughs> and Miller all together and, yeah. you know, pick your fave. Um, and so interested in treat, you know, teaching them, you know, to, to think with their, with their tongue. And, and so, and then, then they can speak from a place of authority. Right. And so like really getting them excited and educated about it and, you know, showing them what hops are and how some of this stuff works. And it's always, it's always super fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that education piece and that kind of extending that education about what you do across the entire organization and the entire staff so that everybody can be an educator. And, uh, you know, because that education piece is the piece that also gets people excited, uh, you know, about drinking the beer. It helps them tell the story, you know? Right. Can't, yeah. You can't always meet the brewer, so you meet some rad bartender who's, like, super stoked on their Hellas, and you're like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Sure, sure. Um, you know, so you build this model to sell 100% of your beer, you know, over your bar, and you build a really nice little urban beer garden with a, you know, a kind of, a, you know, crushed gravel patio and, you know, bunch of you know bench style beer garden seating and it's a fun kind of modern and contemporary take food food is also a piece of that because you have kind of a spot for on-site food kind of food trucks that uh you know that you work with in Mm -hmm. order to make sure that you know that's an attractant and so so that was also kind of a component of the idea huh yeah absolutely yeah the spicy boys are out there making a bunch of awesome fried chicken uh their models shifted it opened to soursop and then swifted uh shifted to Spicy boys, but it's like Asian-y bar food, fried chicken, uh, chicken legs, um, all really fun stuff that goes really great with beer. Are they, is it the same folks that are doing it? It is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's oh, the okay. same group. So they because I've had they, soursop here last time that I, you know, I was down. Yeah. There. And yeah. so they um, yeah, it's the same group, soursop and spicy boys. And they have another food truck at Zilker Brewing over okay. in East Austin. That's spicy boys. And they they've since, you know, shifted the models a little bit. But yeah, same family. That's cool. Yeah. But even the food truck evolves over they time. They did, right. Uh, okay. Reinvent yeah. yourself, man. That's cool. Um, but you have a long-standing relationship then with them. Yes, yeah. So our so Teddy, Chef Teddy that started uh, you know, these trucks, super talented guy. And uh we anyway, he was working at this really cool restaurant called La Condesa. I was at Beer Works and he wanted to make a food truck and I wanted to make a brewery and our wives worked together and we had never met, and so and we, I, I just left and was like, I need a food truck. And our wives were like, hey, y'all should meet. And we went over to their house and he made us all this amazing food, like seven courses. And I took a bunch of home brews and it was all great. And we got drunk and and it all just went really well together. And it was like, cool, we're doing this. And since then, he's been our, you know, our, uh, our head chef. I think we talked, we wrote a, uh, a, a brewing industry guide case study on, on you guys. And I think that was a piece of, uh, you know, of that story, that kind of in- interesting kind of fundamental intertwining of, of food. And but the relationship that that helps, uh, you know, build. And then, of course, you know, the way that from a consumer perspective, it adds stickiness to the experience. You know, people come, they can have some food, they can drink some beer. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a whole big thing there. So as you started to, you know, you embark on this model and you don't have a very, very specific idea of uh, or a focused, you know, tightly focused idea of styles that you're going to brew. You approach it from, you know, kind of evolving iterative, you know, approach. We're going to make some beers and we'll see what people like and make more of those. What what is uh, how did that beer program start to develop for you all? Sure. I mean, the focus at first and still it was always on variety. You know, I wanted most or any beer fan to be able to come in here and find something that they liked. And so, you know, in Texas, that means lager and light beer. And so that's why, you know, we launched with Carl. It's Kolsch beer. It's our flagship. Um, crisp, you know, German style Kolsch, Weirman Pills, Tetnanger. Talk about that beer all day. So that that's, you know, that was like kind of the, the first the first friend that we launched, but then IPA and stout and um, fruited sour beers and, you know, just like build, build variety. You know, it's, I, I love all the styles and it's fun to go to places that, that um, specialize in certain things. But as like, for me, whenever I was choosing, you know, what we were going to do, it'd be fun. Like I want to go to our tap and get, get lots of different stuff. And so we, we try to do it all as best we can. Well, it's fun to have a kind of core beer like Carl as a Kolsch, which is, uh, you know, pretty straight up traditional, but also play with, uh, you know, fun things uh, around the edges to keep people excited and to 
Uh, also, hit the kind of needs and interests of different kinds of beer consumers. Let's talk more about Carl because, you know, Kolsch is not something that we've talked about a whole lot here on the podcast over the years. Before you do that, a brewery might have 99 problems, but your fruit supplier shouldn't be one. Old Orchard is already known for their quality concentrates, but they also pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply. When brewers need assistance, Old Orchard is just an email, phone call, or even a text away. Based in Greater Grand Rapids, Michigan, better known as Beer City USA, Old Orchard is core to the brewing community. To join their fruit family, learn more at www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, for years, Brewery DB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery and beer information. In 2019, over 1 million taproom visits were made by craft fans searching for breweries on brewerydb.com. In early 2021, Brewery DB will unveil an all-new experience to help craft lovers get back on the brewery trail. To take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of Brewery DB and to increase your taproom traffic, visit marketmybrewery.com. That's marketmybrewery.com. It's easy and it's free. So, Brian, as you were designing and thinking about this uh, kind of flagship-ish Kolsch you know, that you were going to produce, uh, where did you seek in- uh, inspiration from? Uh, well, the inspiration for Carlos is, is uh, definitely from St. Arnold's lawnmower. Um, you know, I grew up in Houston area and, uh, me and me and my buddy Steve used to go, uh, steal lawnmowers from his dad ship when we were in high school. And, uh, he was, he was a rad dad who had craft beer. Yeah. He's a killer dad. If he's got like St. Arnold craft beer at that, at that time. Yeah. I mean, it's 2000, 2002, 2003, something like that. Anyway, it was really good beer. And I remember, you know, we drank lots of light beer. We were young and stupid, but, uh, we, we would have this beer and it was like, it was so fun because it was interesting, but still super easy to drink. And right. that was, it was so attractive about it. And so, um, that's where I, I, I kind of fell in love with Kolsch. Uh, and then you just kind of kept going. Um, I, uh, I was the home brewer that I worked on the most by far. Um, you know, and, and lager is a big thing here. So I did a lot of pills, a lot of Kolsch. And there's just something about the balanced nature of Kolsch that is just really beautiful to me. That it's, you know, it's this ale, let's call it a hybrid beer, ale lager hybrid. It's ale yeast technically, right? And then it's fermented like a lager. And so you can ferment it different ways and make it, you know, really crisp and minerally. Or you can, you know, you can ferment it warmer and make it a little more fruity. And depending on what hops you use and whatever, you know, all the ingredients really, really matter. But I just love the versatility of it. And it's just something that, um, you know, it it can kind of bring a lot of people to beer, um, but also be, you know, kind of hold its own um, with uh, the people who are more serious about stuff. So let's talk about the aesthetic choices that you make in it, you know, um, in terms of of malt. uh, You know, I imagine over your home brewing and some of your kind of test phase brewing, uh, you know, on this beer, especially as you are moving into a kind of commercial setting that, um, you know, you, you worked through and tried out, so, you know, different malt approaches to this to, to figure out what worked. Um, talk to me about some of that experimentation and, you know, how you uh, settled on what you ultimately wanted to brew the beer with. Sure. Yeah. Played, used a, a bunch of different malt. Started with two row. I feel like all of the home brewing books, no matter what beer you make, they say use two row, which right, right. means a lot of things. Anyway, and so use use some you know two row pale ale malt, and then realized I should use pills malt, and uh, and started using all different types of pills malt. Um, brewed quite a few batches of that that coal. She even you know tried to use the same generation of yeast at home over and over again, which is hard to do for a home brewer. To like you be able to harvest and reuse and harvest and reuse and and just to see you know to try to build that consistency, but um, it landed on Wireman Pills. It's you know I, there's lots of good pills mall, but that's just the best in my opinion, and it's it's really hard to beat. It's it's crisp, it's interesting. It's got a sweet like just like really really gentle honey note to it, um, and uh, it's also it's a workhorse. Like it it performs very well in the brew house. Never had a problem with it, uh, and it was just you know, worth, worth the, the extra money for sure. Yeah. I, you know, when you talk about that, I mean, I think that kind of piece of that subtle present, not thick or sweet, but still slightly chewy or, or maybe just toothy, you know, kind of malt component becomes, you know, something important in a beer that's just that light and just, you know, that, uh, you know, simple and straightforward. Um, you know, do you have a way of, talking about it or articulating or defining you know how you know how you think about that 
I think about like the malt or yeah, the, the beer. Fla the flavor there, you know, that, that that malt contributes. You know, say that Vireman Pills versus some of uh, some of the Absolutely. other. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 almost like aha or like you thought of something like fun or interesting because it's it's not like you're lost like uh to take the analogy a little further so it's not like you're like lost in thought and it's like a whole you know shitload to think about um it's like you're hanging out having a good time drinking a beer and then aha oh wow well, that's that's good and like and that's it. It, it you know and there's there's a lot of beauty in that right and i think pills and kolsch and and that and that malt really just make that happen it's not you know so much where you're like distracted you can still keep having a conversation you know and and so like that malt really is is just that like oh man oh that's cool and then you you know like you can and then you can delve into that idea or or you can just like let it be and and you know just be aware of it so yeah, there is that kind of uh, subtle flavor where, um, you know, the way I describe it, even the way that we try to think about off flavors when we are, you know, we, we try not to use that term. In fact, um, we, but we try to think about things that break the flow, you know, things that take you out and start making you conscious of them. And those seem to be the things that we try to, you know, that the, the absolutely best beers have a cohesiveness where those pieces pull together. And you don't note, you're not going to notice any of the individual elements because if you do find something that's sticking out about that, then it hasn't pulled together in that same kind of, con, you know, consistent flow kind of manner, you know. And so you're right. That's that little bit where it has flavor. You find it pleasing at some kind of subconscious level, but it's not something where you're like, oh, that malt flavor is so good. You know, it, wow, caramel. <laughs> Dang. Right, right. Um, you find yourself liking it because it's not a thin or it's not a, you know, uh, kind of, um, you know, flat or dull, you know, kind of you know, just base malt character. It's, you know, engaging and it, it feels like something you like to drink, um, you know, but it's also not that thing where it becomes this central flavor for you. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, fermentation or, or, are there, or is there any special treatments to that malt or, uh, you know, do you step mash through it in order to, you know, aid in ferment, uh, fermentability? Uh, are there any other uh, kind of steps that you take in that process to kind of optimize uh, the flavor and the performance of it? We... We don't honestly. That's one of the reasons and I I'm chose it. Your pub brewing system yeah, behind sure. you. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. It's, yeah, sure. We go that, right? Giant five vessel pub system. No, it's, it's two. Um, no, that's one of the, one of the other reasons that I really love it. Is is it it works really well for, with a single infusion. So you know we can adjust yeah. the mash temp and we can adjust the the chemistry and the acidification and and um, and you know like a little addition of of this or that of some, of some other specialty malts um, to to you know take it you know a little left a little right um but it it performs remarkably well very consistently um you know just mashing it at one 151 you know bang it out it's gonna finish at two seven it's great let's talk about yeast then you yeah know, obviously uh you know kolsch yeast op operating in that kind of hybrid environment um it's going to produce some lager-like characters. It's going to produce that little bit of sulfur, which mm -hmm. some people think is a bad word, but I actually love a little bit of sulfur and that kind of thing. Um, you know, talk to me about yeast choice. And then, uh, you know, of course, what you found in working with that yeast that uh, has helped you kind of dial it into the character that you like from it. Sure. That's been one of my favorite things about really being able to run this brewery and, and, and build Carl over the years is getting to know the yeast. I used to hear other brewers talk about getting to know your yeast. And when I was first getting, you know, getting ready, oh, you know, after, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 generations, I would know this and I would see this. And it's like, oh my God, that's like a lifetime from now. And, and now it's, you know, I've been three, four or five years, whatever. And so it's been really fun to get to know what it does in lots of circumstances. So we use uh, Carl's yeast is uh, Y yeast 2565. Um, it's their, their standard Kolsch yeast, and it is remarkably versatile. Um, I really, really enjoy it. So we use it for um, the IPA you're drinking earlier, and we use it for Carl, and we've even used it um, for some lighter beers. We don't call them lagers because we're pretty stick we're, we're stickler about you know tradition to a certain extent. Um, but uh, but you can ferment it at 56 degrees and make a crispy, crispy, no fruit, no frills boy. Um, and Carl, we fermented at 62. Um, and so that gives us like this really cool green grape, a little bit of like pear peach, like super subtle, but like just like really light fruit character with this crispiness with a little bit of minerality to it. 
that's really nice. And then you can ferment it um, warmer for your IPAs will go up to 70 or more and, and then they get, it gets a little louder. It gets a little bit more fruit and that you get into the more like stone fruit, um, you know, like more peach and, and that kind of stuff. So it's really fun to play around with it. So you brew your hazy IPAs with a Kolsch yeast. We do. You're not the only brewery uh, that I hear in uh, Austin, Texas that does no, no, that. Theirs is different. <laughs> but uh, I but can tell you what it is. No. But that's fascinating. That's fascinating that, uh, um, you know, that you're kind of pushing that. And then uh, you can even, you know, uh, get a haze stable, hazy IPA using this yeast that doesn't mm. uh, push off even some of the characters that it would put out in, you know, fermented a certain temperature as a Kolsch versus fermented in a different way for a hazy IPA. Yeah. I mean, I think that's also part of knowing your grain. I mean, so you're getting, getting those wheat proteins in there and some good flaked grain to go, to go along with it is going to help you, you know, obviously with, with it, with a hazy. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this yeast, I mean, we'll, we'll take our cold yeast 20, 30 generations. Really? And yeah. And it'll, and it'll do really well. Fortunately, right. Carl's like an 11 Plato beer. So it's like the perfect beer to grow yeast. It's yeah, not exactly. It's donating out to all of it. Uh, it yeah. grows everything. Yeah. So it's and, like Matt Brindleton was saying, it's your 805 where uh, it's, right. the, it's the perfect yeast donor out for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're just making IPAs with it. I mean, you know, might as well make it, some Kolsch first. And that's why we did it. We've, you know, we, we play around with juice strains or, you know, London three um, or Chico, you know, I, uh, you know, grew up on Chico at, at Beerworks, and that's a really awesome yeast. Um, but we have it here and let's use it. And, um, you know, that's there, you know, that's one of the things you do balance as a, as a, as a brewery is like different than being a home brewer where you can get a different pitch every single time as a home brewer, which is so fun. But like as a professional brewer, it's just, you really can't unless you have like a ton of money or yeah, like you're like to have a profitable business through this. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's finish talking about Kolsch and then we'll go back and talk about brewing hazy IPAs with Kolsch yeast. Cause you know, that's a fun subject that, sure. uh, again, we've never talked about on the podcast that I feel like we'd be missing if we didn't talk more about it. Um, you know, but when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of finishing the Kolsch, are there any, uh, you know, what are those, what does that end of that fermentation look like into, uh, you know, kind of carbonation and packaging? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely about patience. Um, you know, a lot of people treat Kolsch like Blondale and they'll use, you know, an American yeast and give it two weeks and call it a day. And that's not Kolsch. Um, and it's just not going to be the same thing. So yeah, we, you know, it's at least three, four, it's really great at five, um, weeks, you know, you gotta be patient, treat it like a, like a lager. Um, you need to, cause it is an ale yeast. Uh, and then, I mean, you got to filter it or fine it. I mean, you, you know, you can get away with biofine and I guess that's fine, but we have a lenticular filter um that makes it just crystal clear and it's it's a beautiful thing you know it's not the only thing we do but there's something very special and beautiful about a well-made filtered beer i have heard that a lot today in talking to brewers you know a lot of lenticular filters with that polish level filter on it just to uh you know finish and clean oh, things yeah up. doosan's got one <laughs> uh yeah and swifty and uh and amos oh also. you did oh man those guys geez yeah, yeah you talked to all the all the best ones in town i'm not saying that i've had the best day ever today that's but, a I good mean, day it's a pretty good day yeah yeah and some franklin's barbecue for Jesus, lunch dude. so you know that that is a tour of austin living right there living your best life right yeah um and living the socially distanced best life sure. of course and uh trunk pickup for uh <laughs> for franklin's but uh i digress Let's talk about um, making hazy IPA with Kolsch yeast because that's weird. And uh, there's nothing I like more to talk about than things that are weird and unconventional or unexpected. Before we do that, ABS Commercial is excited to be a part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. As a part of ABS Commercial's ongoing give back campaign, they'll be giving away an ABS keg viking keg washer in june so make sure to periodically check the abs commercial facebook page and find out when the contest opens up and how you can enter to win a keg viking so yeah yeah uh, tell me how you make hazy ipa with a coal sheast how do you make how, i mean seriously like that that's strange yeah right london three seems to be the answer um well, london or, three is going to generate the kind of fruity esters and a lot of that more glycerol you know, right sure mouthfeel and everything and yeah and it's and it's great and 
there we we definitely bring in you know uh some some juice strains or english strains or whatever you want to call them um for some of our beers they 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 can they add a bunch of awesome character but for us i mean part of it is you know we have it here and we've we've really had a lot of fun success with it you know if fermenting a little warmer you're not going to get a bunch of apricot uh which i just get so much of that out of some of those those english strains which it's cool but it's so identifiable that it's like distracting okay and so what sometimes i'll have you know beers with with those yeasts and it's and it's just like i you know okay is this yeast or is this hops i don't know if it matters necessarily right it's good beer is good beer but um but really you know part of that that fun with with the ipa is really you know getting some amazing hops and then letting them shine and i think the cold sheets it's going to give you this really great mild right you know green grape pear peach stone fruit kind of character but it's it's not going to even come close to outshining what you're doing with the hops um it ferments really well it's super clean no diacetyl sulfur problems it cleans up super easily so like there's like you know you have to worry about like flocking too early which happens with some of those and it's always a pain in the ass um to have to deal with and so uh, that's you know logistically it's really nice and i think it really does make a nice canvas give you a nice canvas with the right malt um to you know let those those hops you know go through by transformation or or you know really just uh you know you know finish out with like you know a cold dry hopping or all different types of dry hopping these days you feel like you, there's an infinite amount of ways to do it and we keep trying to find them so so do you know, do you push biotransformation in those what uh you know, like how many uh how early into uh fermentation do you uh, tend to start dry hopping we played around with it a lot and to be honest we're, we get it we're getting away from it a, a little bit it, it it definitely has some some cool effects you know with day three is typically when we'll do it if we want to do some biotrans hops right. and um and you know there's there's a few different ones that we'll pick but uh but really like it we've been having a lot of fun playing around with just with terminal or just before terminal um and dry hopping and then you're in succession there's uh, uh, dry hopping you know, at like a slightly colder you know chilled temperature from fermentation so we'll ferment it you know at 70 and and then you know, have a lot of problems with hop creep and so which like takes away from like the mouthfeel and is, is a problematic thing that happens with making um these hazy ipas and and so you know we'd also like at those higher temperatures you can get certain i feel like you get certain astringent character out of your dry hopping and so we'll right now we're we're knocking it down to 58 62 degrees you know just giving it a little bit of a chill letting that yeast like settle down just a little bit and and then throwing those hops in you know a few times i mean why not get less efficient extraction out of extremely expensive hops brian that's right <laughs> i'm not in this to make money at all right yeah you know and then so you know and yet the beer is still a hazy you know turbid maybe not quite milky or thick but uh you know but also has a you know good chunky haze to it it's uh um talk to me a little bit about that kind of you know mash process in order to build some stable haze well for us you know the key is definitely wheat uh right you know and i mean we we use a pills base for most uh we use either pills or we use like a pills 70 percent pale ale about 30 percent um which really does kind of help build uh just a nice balance and you know oomph it up from from you know like a, a lager base and and then yeah a good five to ten percent wheat and and then flaked uh you know flaked barley flaked oats flaked wheat i really we lean on flaked oats and flaked barley quite a bit um and uh yeah they, that's that's the the general gist of of those those grain mills and it's still a single infusion mash yep and uh you know and you can still find that kind of stability even that way huh yeah it works that's really cool yeah and then actually we just got rakes uh in the mash ton <laughs> so even with all that you know mashing it all by hand with a with a big old uh, mash paddle it, it, it we've made it work your uh, your brewers thank you yes they do <laughs> they have multiple times <laughs> um let's talk about some of the other let's talk about hops you know yeah in that kind of context um, you mentioned that uh, some hops uh, you enjoy with a little biotransformation approach more than others. Um, talk to me you know, about thinking about that and what might lead you with a certain hop variety to, uh, you know, to dry hop at a different time. Sure. Yeah. So we, um, 
we're, we're still really diving into it. I mean, there, there, we, we lean on, honestly, your podcast to, to steer us this way and that. Um, but with, with those varieties, uh, we use Cascade quite a bit. Um, really? even, mm-hmm, yeah. Or, or Citra and then, and then Azaka. Um, those are going to be the ones that we use for, for the biotrans, but typically, um, but yeah, we're, we're really not doing a whole lot of biotransformation hopping anymore. You cascades and your hazy IPA. What's, yeah. Uh, what do they give you? Magic. Magic. That's right. What's What's the magic taste like? It's super. It's super smooth. I don't know. There's There's just something like really beautiful about the 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 lemon that you can get um, out of Cascade and and even like berry sometimes. Um, Are there specific Cascades that you go for for that? Uh, we use a uh, Roy farms cascade. Okay. Yeah. Their, their cascade is, is, uh, and they we use our cascade in their Chinook. Um, they're awesome. They're really fun to work with. I highly recommend it. Um, they're really fun people. And like for us, you know, to get into like picking hops, like, you know, one of the things that pushes you, you know, we started small and we said, you know, hundred percent of our beer was sold over the counter and then we've grown and we distribute. Now we can our beer and distribute it and, and we're growing and growing and, and, lots of things pull you in that direction. And one of the big ones for us is, is hop selection and trying and being able to, you know, have access to those because, you know, while we're talking about this cascade or that cascade or Citra or Idaho or whatever, um, you were still, we can only select a little bit of it. Um, and we, we really aren't, we're a small brewery, you know, right, we're doing under right. 2000 barrels a year. And, and so we're not anywhere near the volume that we need to. And so it pushes you to grow. And so we're planning other things so we can, you know, uh, the more you grow, the more that the quality can get better, it can get more interesting. And we can actually choose the ingredients that we're using these beers and, and you know, be more intentional about them rather than just being subject to whatever, um, and, you know, and that whatever, you know, I feel like selection, I'm as someone who's, who's uh, really only been able to do a little bit of it, um, is, you know, I, I think it, it was extremely, it will be, I'm excited to do it, be a very extremely important um, but you can also make really good beers off of, you know, spot hops, you know, you really can, you know, yeah, I think you, what you need to do is, is use them in a, you know, in a few ways with other beers. And this is kind of, it takes a long time to build, um, build that knowledge of, of your ingredients. Um, but we found some really good hops that we found through spot. And then we like, once you recognize this hop or that hop or that hop or whatever, in in another, in other beers, or maybe had other problems, then we can save those boxes of the other ones and then use them in others, uh, bring them together and make something really special. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that another brewery in Austin also uses some coal sheets, uh, does things in a little bit different way. Um, I love this idea that in Austin, you're making hazy IPAs for Austin drinkers that and those Austin drinkers are generally drinking your hazy IPAs in really warm temperatures you know they're drinking it in 100 degree heat in the middle of the summer you know and thick and sweet does not go over very well in this kind of environment but you know in a lot of ways that kind of Kolsch approach at you know and a less sweet and a little bit more you know, dryness that still has, you know, enough of that, uh, you know, residual body to kind of accentuate those fruit flavors. That's what creates the kind of hazy IPA, you know, the drinkers down here want to drink. Um, you know, do you have goals in terms of like finishing gravities where you like for these things to end and, you know, and, you know, how do you think about kind of accentuating those fruit flavors with that little bit of, uh, remaining body? For sure. Super important. Milkshake IPAs don't do very well down here, um, as do a few other styles. Um, but yeah, the cold yeast really helps. Like I said, those lighter fruit characters that you get out of the cold yeast really help. Um, you know, that grapey and, and um, a little bit of stone fruit, apricot, I guess. Uh, not even uh, really more peach come through. Um, but with finishing gravity, it's this really, really fun balance that you try to find, you know, where, you know, that it tastes super full and, um, and really great. And then, you know, all the, all the fruit that you get from the hop oils in the beer really come through and kind of hold up when it's like five, five and a half, six Play-Doh, but then like drinking a few of those is it's quite a bit. And so we rest right around three and a half to four and a half depending and we've definitely found with we have one beer uh, we have a hazy pale ale called smalls that we've been working on quite a bit it's this 5.0 percent hazy pale ale that you know is is something that 
really, I think, you know, resonates with the people that come here um, that, you know, they want something that's juicy and hoppy and, and you know, that is going to give them the experience of a, a hazy IPA, um, but it isn't 7%. Um, but then with that, with those lighter ABV beers, you know, you know, alcohol is sweet and, and you know, you're getting a lot of sweetness and you're, I think you're, you're, all, you're, you're definitely getting more extraction with, with that higher alcohol in those beers. And so making like a 5% beer that's hoppy, that's going to give you the same mouthfeel is really challenging. And so we actually, you know, going to raise the, the finishing gravity on this hazy pale ale to like four, 4.2. Whereas for some of the IPAs, it might be a little bit lower, but then the mouthfeel isn't, I don't know, that, that alcohol sweetness, you know, extraction balance. Um, you know, that's, that's where we're, we're kind of trying to find that, that sweet spot. Uh, <laughs> pun intended <laughs> nailed it it was all of that gibberish just to that joke oof, oof. uh you know as a as a dad i can appreciate that quality of joke um uh do you uh take those ipas any step further uh you know with additional ingredients or uh you know fruit additions or or do you try to you know kind of keep it uh, straight down the line on that we do a few fruited IPAs. Those are fun, but clearly we, you don't do the milkshake sour no, IPAs. No, we don't. And those like are that. great. They're super fun. I love, we love drinking them. It's just a, you know, the, per, per climate, not a thing we do a lot here yet anyway. Um, and for the, you know, for an IPA, we don't typically use a whole lot of fruit. We'll use acidity as a thing important. We use some citric acid. Um, definitely will, can help, you know, aid in that that juicy orange juice, you know, creating, creating that character. You don't want to go overboard because then it's like, holy shit, there's citric acid in this thing. Right. Um, and it's too acidic. So you have to find balance with it, but we'll definitely use a little bit of citric acid and we're, we've been adjusting our, our salting and making sure that, um, you know, the, our, our chloride and our sulfate aren't, aren't too high. Whereas, you know, with loggers, it, you know, not to sound flippant, but we, you know, we can let them get a little bit higher in, in for certain, for certain styles. Um, but with these beers, you want to be nice and soft. You got to be pretty careful. Sure. Sure. Um, talk to me about fruit beers. Uh, you mentioned that that is another component, obviously, you know, your warm climate, you have a diverse clientele. Um, you know, people come in, they might want to drink an IPA. They might want to drink a lager. You know, certainly some folks might want a fruit beer with, a you know, uh, that has that kind of refreshing fruit character to it. Um, you know, and you weren't afraid to get into that kind of kettle soured fruit beer territory from the early days of St. Elmo. No, we weren't. Uh, kettle sours are so fun. When I first found out about them because, you know, the only the only sour beer I had originally heard about was mixed culture fermentation, which is awesome. And and just like a completely different beer and conversation. And they're rad. But I was like, well, you can't do that here because I do a bunch of lager and IPA and and the, our brewery is like 1500 square feet. Um, so, you know, can't really keep things separate, um, but kettle sours. And there's this other brewery that's kind of, you know, just outside of Austin that does those really well too. And like, you know, they, they satisfy your itch for that. Sure. Yeah. I'm not trying to compete with Jeff. Yeah. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're doing super fun things out there. And those are just the coolest people at Jester King. Um, no, but kettle sours are so fun. They really fit in with our kind of clean, very approachable beer, right, is, right. you know, aesthetic here. And, uh, and, you know, and until very recently, we couldn't serve wine or cider. And so we just get so many people that come in here and they don't like beer uh, and they want something else. And so like, what's what's something that, you know, that we can sell these people that we can make? You know, we're all about um, inclusivity. And, we you know, I want to, any beer drinker to walk in here and be able to find something they like. But I want other people, you know, to be able to that don't like beer. And that's OK to come in here and be able to find something that they can sit down with their friends and have a good time. And so, um we uh, we've made these fruited sours that really fit that. We've even extended it to to seltzers, which is a totally different conversation. Oh, oh man! Yeah, really. We don't make a we make a couple of them, but like it's that the message and the intent of that really is inclusivity. Oh, you just waved a red flag in front of the bull. Here. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, we we'll can talk, talk about it. Let's we'll talk about talk it. About I would love to. Let's talk about finish talking yes, about, but about fruited you know, sours. So it's sours just bringing people together, having fun. They're delicious, and so. Um, I remember going to CBC in Portland in 2013 and hearing the dudes from, was it Galactic 
and the commons talk about making fruited sours with yogurt. And I was like, oh my God, they did <laughs> what? And it was such a cool thing. And so we went back and we made some and, and since, you know, we use White Mountain Bulgarian, you know, non-fat yogurt that's made here in Austin, which is super rad. I go to Wheatsville Co-op grocery store on my way to work when we make one and we pick up this yogurt and four gallons of it and we you know do our mash and we throw it in and it sours over a couple days and um and the whole process is really fun because like two different fermentations and then we can add fruit later on or not not all of them are fruited and anyway so it's just kind of this fun aside and you know side venture and and you know the normal kolsch ipa pills you know what we're doing here yeah um what is uh what does your quick souring method look like? Yeah, so we um you know the mashing is important and you want to you want to give that that culture whatever you're using yogurt or otherwise, you know, if you want to buy some from a, a lab, um a, a head start. Uh and so we'll use some acid malts or lactic acid in the mash and uh do that to ideally 4.9 or so pH. Um we're typically we're you know for most of the other beers we're you know 5.1 to 5.4 or 5.5 and um so we need to give you a four eight four four nine starting boil it reduces it a little bit more uh and then we'll cool it down to 115 110 and and then pitch uh pitch the culture aka yogurt and straight into the kettle straight into the kettle yeah um non-fat definitely get non-fat and uh yeah and then um and then we have a, a damper on our um on the vent um for the kettle and so we can kind of close it up and we run co2 through the wort the whole time we're casting out back into it we had a port installed at the top you can see right there the, the top of the kettle that we put arms we put a tc arm in so we can basically close the whole thing cast out back into the kettle just like a fermenter that's all sealed with co2 we bubble it through the oxygen stone the whole time um and so that creates this you know nice safe sanitary environment and open the door for just a second, pop the yogurt in, close it. And then we're pretty typically 48 hours or so, um, sometimes 72, uh, which is kind of on the slow end, but uh, that's what this culture does and does it very consistently. And we've come to know it like our coal sheets, honestly, and um, makes this really nice, smooth lactic acid um, that is just very gentle. Um, do you know what, uh, you know, what uh, lactose strain is in that uh, that yogurt? There, there's a few. Um, oh, okay, so I don't it's know a blend them off of the top. Lactose. No, that's cool. Yeah, there, there's like three to five. I okay. don't know them off the top of my head. Um, sure. Yeah, and it's it's the type of thing. It's like if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. Because like we've I've I've played around with buying some from labs and and we've done you know even from grain and and a few things like that and and this has just been the most consistent and the most fun and the and the, the smoothest um just like sweet lactic acidity it's, it's it's just really great so well yeah no if you find the flavor that you really love then uh you know don't change it up that's a lot of time to let this small little kettle sit there and not make beer for it's you it's a friday brew is yeah. it yeah so we're we're still like a pub mentality in a lot of ways and so um yeah so we'll that'll be the friday brew and then there's been a couple times where it went a little intense and I had we came in on Sunday and, and knocked it out. But um, typically we can let it roll until um, till Monday morning, boil it up and um, and then let the let the coal yeast again do do its thing. So coal yeast to ferment. I mean, why not? You've why got, not? You've got plenty of it. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about adding, uh, you know, fruit and flavor into those kettle sours. Um, talk to me about uh, processes that you use around that. Sure. Yeah. So we unfortunately you know there's a lot of romance and you know picking fruit and raw fruit and all that and we just you know, we're, we're definitely sticklers for for things being aseptic and clean in here and so we need to use aseptic fruit um, puree um typically not from that.com um we'll or the the primary source we'll get it from is oregon fruit uh we've used aseptic fruit purees too actually um we use our guava for for one um but yeah, we use puree and uh, in there, they seem like they keep getting better and better at making it. Um, uh, it's just, it's really full of flavor. It's super easy to use. It's kind of like people who stick, you know, it's, it's, it's hot pellets versus whole cone, you know, with, with whole, whole fruit versus right, puree. Right. And, um, and so we. Puree we, is, is fruit. I mean, you know, I, I don't think anyone needs to apologize for that. Um, you know, and I think it can make delicious, delicious beverages. 
um, you know, and it, so it's funny. It's it, a fact. It, absolutely. Right. You know, it's, uh, um, is, yeah, it's just, it's fruit that's been cooked a little bit and processed just a little bit in order to make it, uh, you know, to aid in that kind of extraction process and the, in, you know, for brewing and for other stuff. And so, um, yeah, yeah. It's fruit, baby. Yeah. It's great. You so, don't have to justify it to me. Sure, I, uh, well, I like, I like, you know, it's, you know, we're talking you know, about Jester King and I really love that too. And like part of that's exciting, but for us, you know, we need to know what's going to happen and I want, you know, our bugs to eat it, not somebody else's. Um, and so there are certain kinds of beers where I think telling that story about origin of fruit and, uh, processing and, and whatnot makes a lot of sense and it adds value to the beer itself. And then there are those beers, you know, that, that you make where you want a, a pint of it and you want it to hit those notes and, um, you know, it's got the acidity that people expect out of a fruit beer and it has that, you know, kind of bright fruit flavor and it's relatively consistent for you to make. And there's no shame in that. I think that's a great way to make a very good beer to that makes you know consumers happy and so i love beers made with fruit uh, fruit puree it's a hard one to say yes me too and or so juice we, and concentrate and all those other things sure you know, there's, there's yeah yeah even essence we'll throw that out there <gasps> we're talking about seltzer in a minute <laughs> no but for our beers yeah i'll, I'll uh, mainly organ fruit and we've originally it was all kind of at the end of fermentation you know, you know, we would make this, you know, right. blonde kettle sour and then add fruit and, you know, different amounts, which is finding that out is always fun and challenging how much you're supposed to use. Um, and then we started packaging. We're getting a crowd. We got a crowler machine and started canning stuff. And then it's like, oh, wow, like if I add a bunch of sugar, stuff might happen later. And so also, you know, how many how much how layered can these flavors get? And, you know, can I actually make this beer better by fermenting with the fruit? And so now for, you know, especially with raspberry and guava and blackberry, um, we'll ferment all or most of it with with the fermentation. So day two, we're adding adding this fruit. And so we can ferment it dry. We know that it's going to be shelf stable and and actually getting better results than, you know, making kind of a jam session with all of it at the end where it sits in the in, in the finished product, which is cool, too. So it's been fun to play around with, like, do we want this thing to be we add the sugar at the end and, and you know, um, and just like have this basically like base plus fruit, or do we want to, it all to kind of mingle together in a, in an ideally, you know, safe way and, and create a, you know, a few layers and, and finish a little bit drier. Sure. Sure. Um, let's, well, so how, what is that finishing goal for, uh, you know, for a lot of those fruit beers? Cause again, like some sweetness to balance out that acidity tends to be necessary in that kind of, in that kind of beer also to help highlight that fruit character. If it's super dry, and it becomes very hard, you know, especially without the presence of bread and some of those things that can also create other kinds of compounds that give the impression of sweetness without actually, you don't have any of that in a kettle sour. And so you need to leave some of that in there. Um, what is, what do those finish at? Yeah. Those beers actually finish like close to four Play-Doh, okay. but they, they drink dry. Yeah, right. they, they're very approachable. And I think it's, you know, so much of that is the acidity, right? It's all about balance and what, what is balancing other sure. things. And so, sure. You know, like if it was two Play-Doh or two and a half Play-Doh, like that would be intense. And I think, yeah, that that three and a half to four point two Play-Doh for for most of our kettle sours is where they finish. And um, they're they're really drinkable. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's talk about hard seltzer. Sure. Let's do it. I mean, you know, in in all full transparency, we just finished, uh, you know, uh, last week putting to bed our very first issue with hard seltzer on the the front cover of the magazine. Uh, for those of you who are subscribers to the magazine, you'll see it. You'll see what we did. I, I won't say that I, we got a little tricky with it, but it's one of my favorite covers that we've ever done. Nonetheless, uh, I just spent the last, you know, eight weeks drinking a shitload of hard seltzer. <laughs> um, you know, and our blind panel has went through session after session of reviews of hard seltzer. Whoa. You know, there's no sel- there's no style guide for hard seltzer. There's no like what's good what's bad it was a lot of the law you know well it did we put some claw into our, our blind lineup and it's not that bad you know um but it was interesting trying to like create a framework for how you even judge an idea of good and something like that especially something that's so minimal um where you know it's like looking at a a Donald Judd sculpture, like, you know, where the idea is for the sculpture to disappear into this landscape, you know, how do you find what's good about something where the goal of it is 
you know, to negate itself, you know, and the best seltzer seems to be the seltzer that doesn't taste like anything. Um, and they just kind of, you know, whisper, or at least that was my assumption. And then getting into it, like, man, there's a lot of hard seltzers out there that are playing with heavy essence, heavy retro nasal, you know, component, you know, where as you drink them and as, you know, they, they almost like, you know, concentrate and linger in that retro nasal building this idea of fruit flavor that you continue to experience even when it's not on your palate it's kind of interesting just the like like the pure physical mechanics of experiencing that kind of flavor but talk to me about the way that you guys have uh, have approached hard seltzers yeah seltzers are crazy um just well like not making them is isn't insanely complicated in, in some ways um but just like how they took over a year two years ago um but for us you know like i said you know took over is a relative term right they haven't taken over that, okay but they were grown like, so rapidly faster than anything i've ever seen in grown, our industry yeah grown to equal volume of craft beer as a whole and done it in like two or three years right yes yeah, yeah. became relevant very quickly maybe not take over yeah um, crushed macro beer because they've pretty much taken all of, you know, all of that out of macro beer, but yeah. Right. Um, yes. Uh, so for us, it, it was, it was like, oh, wow. You know, what, what, is, what the hell is White Claw? And I was like, oh, okay. Now all the Chads and Brads are drinking it. And, and, and so it's okay. And, um, so we know we, the fruit at sours definitely, you know, was a way that we can include people. We also really love them. And so like, not to diminish them to like this crowd pleaser. Um, but you know, people, some people just do not like beer. If I have family members and good friends that don't come, that didn't come here because they don't like beer and they don't even a sour beer, you know? And so, you know, is this is a thing It's like, okay, well maybe let's play around with it. Let's just, let's just see what it is. It's you know, fermented dextrose sugar, corn sugar, and, and then we can fruit it with, you know, with some of the organ fruit we're using, use some good fruit. We, we did some, some extract and essences, which definitely was not a win. It was okay. But, uh, I would definitely recommend using real fruit, especially for people going to a craft brewery. You know, you can, you know, you can definitely afford it if you're making a seltzer and, and, you know, the, the, the flavor you're going to get from them is going to be, you know, so much better. Um, and so, yeah, we just, uh, we played around with mainly tropical fruit. So passion fruit, guava, pineapple, and, uh, and then just fermented dextrose to like 18% alcohol with some like turbo insane, you know, yeast. Right. And, uh, you know, Champ, is it wine yeast or, we uh, use, uh, so BSG has a line distillers yeast. path. Uh, they actually have a whole on the BSG craft brewing website. They have a seltzer section. So it's like malt hops, yeast, uh, salts, cider, seltzer. Uh, and they have a yeast, uh, yeast nutrient and yeast mix called Pathfinder, like 87 or something. And we only use it a couple times. And uh, anyway, that stuff rips. I'm trying to find the nicest way to say that. It, it was insane. So we brewed like a bunch of corn sugar, um, boil it, cast it out with a ton of oxygen, and then just dump in this stuff. And, and then four days later, it's like 17, 18% alcohol. And it tastes like kind of like weird sake. And we're like, okay, that's not very good. Um, and, but then we, you know, would, would blend it down and mix it with fruit and, and we're still playing around with it. Like, please, you know, do not take this as, as any, <laughs> as any form of authority in how to make a great seltzer. Hey, guess what, Brian? Yeah. There's no authority on making hard seltzer. That's or, true. No authority on making craft hard seltzer right now. Even some of the folks that we've had that have, uh, scored the highest in this past issue are still admittedly and t- telling me that we're figuring it out. And so, you know, it's a process that everybody is engaged in still honing at this point. And so, yeah, always developing, but just interesting to see where you are right now on it. Yeah. So we've done it a few times. It's actually right now it's winter, not selling very well. We actually don't have it on tap, but we'll. Oh, so seasonality does play into this. I don't know, because a lot of the pundits out there in the uh, commercial world were saying that seltzer is now a year round product. Bud Light seltzer is definitely crushing it is at least if we're talking dollars um but but yeah i mean like it's not even if we had it on we had it on maybe a month or two ago and it was it was not moving um but yeah seasonality here especially in texas like when it's really hot out there 105 degrees every day um you know alcoholic bubble water 
some some people that's what they want i'd rather have a cold sure pills um yeah so we played around with it we're still you know diluting it what kind of fruit you know how much time do we also want to devote to this i think we've done like four or five batches total um but it's fun you know like some people snub their nose you know people snub their nose at hazy ipa they snub their nose at filtered beer and unfiltered beer or whatever and you know we always try to be pretty open-minded about like hey you know like we can try it maybe we hate it we can dump it down the drain if we don't like it um and then we've done that uh but you know we're trying to bring people together it's one of the things that's so hard to do right now and uh and you know making seltzer it was is a part of that equation for for better or worse sure sure what does cleanup on the hard seltzer look like for you do you do anything to try to adjust some of the wonky uh, fermentation flavors that come out of that turbo yeast um and then you know what do you how do you handle you know after you know post uh fruit addition I yeah mean, if you're so selling it off the tap then you can maintain a cold environment for it but if you ever put that in a crowler you certainly don't want it to um you know you know <laughs> i know and I've, I've seen it. Yeah. So we filter it. So when it's done, we filter with our lenticular, take all the yeast out and then fruit it actually. Um, and with a beer, I would be um, a little bit nervous about that. We've done that a couple times, but just like filtering it, taking out all the safeguard in a way and then adding the fruit, you know, is a little weird. But with this stuff, I mean, it's like 17% alcohol, and, you know, it's and it's like a it's very acidic, very safe, you know, product. And so, and then we also know that, you know, we're, it's going to be shelf stable after that. So, um, yeah, filter it, add the fruit and then, and then, and dilute it with, uh, with, you know, deaerated carved water. Oh, so you fruit it while it's at full strength and then you, yeah. Cause it, it extracts that flavor a lot better. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, cool, cool. Uh, and are there flavor combinations you find, uh, people really love? Citrus and tropical fruit, just like beer. I mean, like people really, you know, those those always bang. We've, you know, we've talked about, you know, watermelon, mint and this, that and the other. And there are some of the bigger, there are some companies that, you know, will, will make like mixed versions or try to cocktail it or whatever. And I think that can work. It can also taste like basil or whatever. Yeah. It can be a little too, too herbal. Um, and so we just stick to stick to a lot of the fruit that we use in our beers it's kind of like you know take as much as we know and just apply it to that small world sure sure well let's zoom out from brewing right now sure and uh you know take a broader look um you know for you and for saint elmo um what is the like what's the near-term long-term goal and uh you know in your long-term viewpoint what is ultimate success look like for uh for saint elmo brewing well, we're going to keep doing more of what we're doing. I think to a certain extent, we've already reached the success that we wanted. You know, we had this business plan um, early on and we're going to do this and that and the other and create these experiences at this at this brewery and this tasting room. And and we've done that. And it's it the you know, the, the Austin uh, community has really gotten behind us and we're extremely grateful for that. So that in a way, like we accomplished that, which is which is awesome. And we need to keep doing that. Uh, we need to be true to ourselves and keep making really fun beer that excites us and the brewers and, and that brings people together. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've had to, I mean, talked about pivoting earlier, but this, you know, 2020 was the year of, of the massive pivot. And so, you know, now we're a packaging brewery and we can all of our beers and we sell them either here or distribute them. And it wasn't a part of the original plan, but I've, we, we're really enjoying a lot of it, you know, like, you know, people can enjoy the beer here and, and, uh, and people can enjoy the beer elsewhere. So we're excited to go to other, um, other parts of the central Texas region. We're planning another location, um, for, up, up uh, North Austin, um, still be about a, a year, year and a half away, but we're planning, you know, another, another great tasting room experience. You know, that's the central focus of our business. And I think any brewery is to create a fun place for people to drink it on site but then you know we're sitting in like i said like 1500 square feet of production space and we want to can beer and do all these things and and we just kind of run out of space to do all the things we want and so we're um we're excited to kind of build to build a new brewery to be able to do those sounds exciting well can't wait to see what you do with a little bit more space and uh, another brewing system to to play around on um 
yeah, Brian uh, Winslow from St. Elmo Brewing. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. GD Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Crisp Scottish Pale Ale Malt is the workhorse of many a brewery. Get great quality and reliable supply from Old Orchard. Take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of Brewery DB. And check the ABS commercial Facebook page to find out how to enter to win a keg Viking. Of course, if you'd like to support this very podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button. And if you're a pro brewer, consider our new all-access pro subscriptions that combine both of our magazine's exclusive online content and more. If you're a consumer, sign up for uh, our regular all-access subscriptions and you will be able to see some of the classes that we are filming this week right here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining me for a socially distant and safe podcast, but in person. It's been so nice to talk to people and be in a brewery after this past year of, of, of very much isolating and, uh, you know, and spending a lot of time doing podcasts out of my basement via digital means. Um, there's something that's just really enjoyable about getting out. And I can't wait, um, you know, for the entire brewing world to continue this trend of moving, uh, you know, towards more openness as more people get vaccinated, take care of this, knock this disease out, take it seriously protect each other and help our brewing businesses stay open and and survive through all of this um if people want to learn more about saint elmo where do they find you on the interwebs and out in real life sure yeah we are on the interwebs uh saint elmo brewing.com st elmo uh and at saint elmo brewing Uh, that's our uh our twitter and uh, instagram handles Cool. Yeah, so thanks so much. Yeah, it's really good. I, I'm realizing as you say all this, I've had a guest here in a year. And so it's good to see you too. This has been really fun. Well, it's been a, a fantastic uh, conversation. And uh, yeah, cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.